Hey, Fellowship family, it's great to have you with us today. We're continuing on this series called Decided, Key Decisions of a Follower of Jesus. And up to this point, we've really called you that as a follower of Jesus, each day is a day to decide to live by grace. It's a, decide, a decision to, to forgive. It's a decision to seek God in his word. And today we're going to be talking about being authentic and what it looks like to be vulnerable before the Lord. You see, uh, the scriptures kind of call us into a community, being a community where we're vulnerable, where we're open with God, where we're authentic with each other. The Bible kind of starts out with this whole picture as God created everything that exists and he's placed man and woman, Adam and Eve in a garden. And at the end of Genesis chapter two, verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Nakedness. They were open before God. They were open before each other. They were fully exposed. Before exposed was a bad word. And they were without shame and without guilt. Boy, the longing of our hearts is to go back to the garden, isn't it? Is to go back to a place where there's no shame and guilt. And we've struggled with that ever since man and and woman fell into sin. We've been trying to come to odds and try to, to balance the picture of where we or who we are and who we'd really like to be. Nakedness was a good word because it wasn't just a condition, but it was a culture of being fully known and completely loved. You could see things inside of you and you could reveal things to others about you. And that that was the same. There was no discrepancies between that. At my house, raising three boys when they were really little. They didn't like wearing clothes in my house and they ran around that house and I would come home and there'd be a boy streaking across the living room and I would go naked boy, naked boy, naked boy. And everyone would go, oh, naked boy, there he is. But then they learned one day they woke up and said, I've got to put on clothes and they've been covering ever since. In Genesis three, something happens. Man and wife fall away from God. They walk away from God. And the first thing they notice is that they're naked. And as a result, they start to cover. And we've been covering ever since. But can I just tell you something? God sees that in us. And from Genesis 3 all the way to the book of Revelation, God is showing us his his call to be covered by him. Animals were killed and their skins were placed on, on Adam and Eve's bodies. And then the sacrificial system through Abraham and then all the way through the nation of Israel was God providing a covering for sin. And then the New Testament is God's shout that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he is our covering. And so when we come to Christ, we uncover, we show him, we we show him ourselves, we admit to our sin and we trust him to cover us. The whole picture of the Bible is let God cover you. But you have to be authentic before God. You have to call out the sin. You have to say, God, God, I see what you see. And I'm not trying to, you know, shift any blame or guilt. I'm responsible, but I trust you to cover me. That's what all grace is about. Allowing God to cover you. And there's a psalm that celebrates the covering of God. It's Psalm 32. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me to Psalm chapter 32 as we celebrate the covering or the forgiveness of God to people who are vulnerable, who are open to him. 
there is a word, a Hebrew word in Psalm 32. It's used three times, but it's actually used throughout 71 times throughout the book of Psalms. Three times it's used in Habakkuk. But scholars question, what is the meaning of this word? The word is sila. What is the meaning of that word? Some believe that it could mean an exclamation point. Some could mean a notation for a musical pause. After all, this book was a a hymn book for the nation of Israel. Others believe that it was a pause to praise God. In other words, to slow people down and reflect upon his work in their lives. That's what I believe it is. And so as I read this, I want to pause to praise as we read this. It's going to be used three times and I'm going to pause and it's just going to be silent in here. And I know that's awkward for many of us. We always like someone talking. We always like music in the background, but especially in a room this size with this many people in it. It's going to be awkward, but I want to invite you to fight through the awkwardness to praise God for who he is and what he's done in your life. As I think about this, the first time we pause, it's really going to show you who you were without Christ in your life. And then the next two times we we say it, it's going to talk about God's work of forgiveness. And so I'd like us to praise him. And you can do that silently and quietly before the Lord as we read this. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This psalm calls us to a decision. It calls us to a decision to either hide in your sin away from God, isolated, or to confide in him and to reveal your heart to him and yet trusting. And that's why I chose the word confide, not just because it rhymes with hide, but confide, that Latin word it's based out of literally means with faith to come and 
and open up your life with faith that not only God will hear you, but he will forgive you. And and that's the guarantee in scripture that when we confide in God, he forgives us. Each week as we've looked at these two columns before us of what what happens when we choose one of those, that direction ends up in a destination. And 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 here's what I want to share with you on this. When I choose to hide, what I'm doing is it's a choose to cover. I'm covering what I really don't want you to see in my life. But when I confide, I tend to confess what's real about me. When I choose to hide, I tend to protect my life. I tend to protect an image of what I want you to believe about me. But when I'm confiding, I'm vulnerable, I'm uncovered, I'm trusting, I'm open. When I'm hiding, I tend to be uh, pretending, pretending to be someone I'm not. But when I'm confiding, I'm revealing who I really am. You see, the end of hiding is a burdened life. The end of confiding is a life that's forgiven. Verse 10 kind of sums it up. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, burdened. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Forgiven, set free. This begins with God in the gospel, but then it, it builds and it overflows with people around us. Now, as I share this word vulnerability... As I ask you to think about being vulnerable with your life, I know that many of you, your heart rates are climbing right now. We don't like to be vulnerable because it's that fear within us. It's that fear that I have that if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. If you really saw my weaknesses, you, um, you wouldn't follow me anymore and you wouldn't respect me anymore. And those fears dominate us and they call us to hide rather than to confide. And what we're ultimately going to be calling you into is is that it's going to be much better in your life to confide than to hide. There's a much greater blessing in someone who is real before God and real before others than it would be to put on a mask and present to others and to God someone we're not. So what I want to kind of build the case for is why is it better to confide than to hide? And the first reason for that, based on Psalm 32, is really because confiding sets us free. It sets me free when I confide, when I call it. Because that's the reward of confiding in God, is forgiveness. Which literally means set free from the wrath, from the punishment of God. New Testament word for that is that you're justified. Your sins have been paid for. You are set free. I love what Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4 said. Look look at this. It says, for when I kept silent, look at that, my bones washed away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I mean, two pictures there. One of the waters rushing over you, you kind of drowning in your sin. The other one is kind of you're parched and you're kind of imploding and on the inside where you're You're just being dried up because you're hiding. There's a burden to hiding. There's a burden to playing a role. There's a burden to being deceptive about your life because one lie begets another lie begets another lie. 
And I found even in the church, we can do that. If we're living in as in a, one area that's just way out of balance and just eating our lunch, we try to prop ourselves with our, with our great things. Maybe it's a philosophy you hold that no one else around you holds. Maybe it's a direction you're pursuing to cover for the true sin that's really eating your lunch when no one can see you. Confiding sets you free. When you come before the Lord and say, I see what you see, it's killing me. It may be porn. It may be an adultery uh, relationship. It may be lying. It may be gossiping. Whatever it is. I mean, God's calling us confide. Come to me. Because that's the picture is he promises forgiveness when we call it. When we see what he sees and we say what he says about it. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. Look at what happens here in Psalm 32, verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, and I love this self-talk, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And look what happened. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Did you see that reality of forgiveness? That load is lifted from his life. That's why a practice in your walk with God and in your relationships with others that is really healthy is this. Ready? It's real simple. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you all say that? Let's just practice. I'm sorry. Good. You can say it. Those words come out of your mouths because we don't want to fight that. When someone says, hey, man, that hurt. And you don't want to say you're sorry. Why? Because you're defending who you want to be. You don't like the shame and guilt. And yet it's freeing for someone to go. Yeah, you're right. That was painful to you. That was insensitive. Think about how your marriage would be if you kept short accounts like that. Hey, I'm really sorry. My four-year-old boys, when they were growing up, they'd go, sorry, and they'd move on. But we'd have to slow them down, okay? So you might want to admit some of the hurt that you've done. You might want to go vulnerable and accept some of the responsibility. But I love it. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That's a great self-talk because you can be self-deceived to think you're just living the life that you want to or that God is in your life to help you have the life you want to live. And yet he calls us to himself. You're better off because confiding sets you free. Secondly, confiding empowers grace. It empowers grace. Look at verse 7 of of Psalm 32. It says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now, remember when he he was not confiding, he was hiding? What was happening? His bones were wasting away. You get this picture of a guy living in agony with, with, uh, in, isolated from God and from others, just withering away. But, and you get silence too. But what happens with forgiveness? Shouts of deliverance. That's what God likes to do. He likes to shout deliverance in your life. You like to be, He likes you to be that exclamation point of forgiveness in your world today. Not, I've got it all together. Look at how strong I am. Look what I've accomplished, like our world likes to. Look what car I'm driving. Look what clothes I have. And look at how far I've, I've progressed in sports. We, we like to put those things out there. But ultimately, your life is lived as a shout of deliverance. You've been delivered because of the grace of God in your lives. When you confide, you just empower God to be more gracious in your life. You celebrate his forgiveness. I like Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 
See, concealing, concealing uh, kind of rips us from the blessing of God. And confession joins us into grace. That's how God is known to us, by the way, as the one who delivers us, as the one who gives us mercy, as the one who forgives us of our iniquities. And that's why it's we're called in a relationship with God to stop covering, to reveal to him who we are. Covering masks reality. Confiding reveals it. Grace, remember, grace is that undeserved, unearned love from God. And so that's why it's a good practice that when we come to God and we say we're sorry to come with faith that he will forgive us. I can't tell you, and many of you have grown up in an environment when you come and you confess, then someone, maybe if you've gone to confession, someone said, well, you've got to do this, this and this. You got to say, you know, 16 Hail Marys or whatever you're going to do. And you put the burden of forgiveness on you. And that's not biblical. That's not what God does in a relationship with us. I want to respect your backgrounds, but I also want to lead you to truth and I want to lead you to forgiveness. And forgiveness is found only in the work of Jesus. It was on that cross where Jesus took the punishment of God for you. There is no responsibility. You cannot save yourself, but you can trust in his work. And his work will be applied to you by faith in Christ. When you admit your sin, you turn from your sin to come to Christ. Forgiveness is yours. That's a guarantee. And when you can find it just empowers it makes God's work greater in your life. If it's all about you and what you're doing, grace tends to be discounted in your life. But confiding empowers grace. So run to it. When someone comes to you and confides and seeks forgiveness, model the forgiveness of Jesus. Say, I forgive you. Can you say that? I forgive you. So many times when someone hurts me, I want to go, yeah, you hurt me. I'll tell you why. Here's that list. And by the way, I've got an iPad to show you all the places you've hurt me. And that's basically getting revenge. For you not to go down that road, but to say, I forgive you. Think about that. I think our marriages need that. I think our employee-employer relationships need that. When someone goes and says, hey, man, I'm sorry for doing that. It's good for you to go, hey, man, that's behind us. I appreciate you recognizing it, but that's behind us. I forgive you. I'm for you. That just empowers grace in your relationship. And it's given to, by, by you modeling the forgiveness of Jesus in your lives. Thirdly, confiding is better than hiding because, frankly, confiding deepens relationships. I absolutely love the wisdom of James. In James 5.16, it says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Think about that. Confess your sins one to another. Wait a minute. This is just about me and God, you might say. No. Your sins affect others. And by the way, when you share it with others, when you're vulnerable, when you confide in others, it's amazing how God builds a community of people who depend on Jesus. When you just lead with your strengths, people tend to go competitive with you. They either feel like they're better than you or they they don't feel like they measure up to you. But when you confide, when you go vulnerable, God just deepens relationships. 
I remember reading this very verse on a elders retreat we took several years ago when one of the giants of the faith at Fellowship Bible Church, Chuck Preston, who served the Lord in the tidal swamps of, of New Guinea, uh, was there. And I looked at Chuck and I just thought, this guy doesn't struggle with anything. This guy is just stellar. He would, uh, you know, serve the Lord. He, he thought he'd always have this gruff voice. He says, I don't think retirement's biblical. And he'd keep living and sharing Christ with everyone. You'd always hear about great things. And my, could that guy pray? But we went around after we read James 5. And he said, hey, I need to confess something. I struggle with anxiety. I don't want to leave my house. I have a ministry in the prison of which at this point now, today, we've had 40 people serving each week in the, in the prison ministry that he helped us start. He says, I don't want to go to the prison. I, I don't like those guys. They make fun of me. They don't want to hear. A lot of them don't want to hear what I'm saying. But hey, I know God wants me to go there. So I go. And he just confessed our heart, his heart to us. And I was, none of us went, that's it, Chuck. You can't be an elder anymore. You confessed your sin. No, we all, we all just kind of leaned in. When you lean in, you go, wow, that, that's how you show someone you admire what they have to say. We all leaned in. Another guy went in, shared what he was dealing with, with his business. Another guy started sharing what he was dealing with in his own uh, relationship with his wife. I, guys. We are real people, and that's how God grows us. It's not at the end of the day, look at how great I am. The end of the day is look at how great Jesus is. And we need to have a community that's willing to put Jesus over ourselves. And we have to do that by humbling ourselves and going vulnerable. Now, granted, I'm going to be a pastor who's going to share his life. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry. But my wife has to live with me. And ultimately, I preach so that my wife can listen to me and still love me. Which means I need to open who I am. And the end of the day is not how great Joe Hishma is. Joe Hishma is a broken man. Joe Hishma struggles with the very things you struggle with. But Joe Hishma is trying to follow Jesus like we all are. And a follower of Jesus follows Jesus. And so we, call, we need to all call ourselves into that. Here's the deal. Relationships grow when you go vulnerable. Relations stay on the surface when you just show the best side of you. If you're always correcting someone, if you always have a better way, chances are they won't want to go deeper with you. But when you share your strengths, you will create competition. But when you share your weaknesses, guess what? You'll create community. People like to know you're real. People tend to share more about yourself and about them, share more about themselves the more you share about yourself. I've even noticed in my marriage, my marriage has grown deeper when I have grown vulnerable. When I come home and I'm in a mood and I'm sporting a tude and my wife goes, what's wrong? And I go, nothing. It's going to be a great night. <laughs> But when she says, hey, what's wrong? And I go, man, I really feel hurt. Or I really am anxious about something. Do you know that's one of the greatest invitations for intimacy in my marriage? 
is how much my wife can come alongside me and be a blessing. And and us guys like to fight it. We just like to show the strong side. But what God calls us into is being real, being open, being vulnerable. In your small group, I mean, don't you, many of us kind of fear that moment when we get beneath that veneer and we really find out about ourselves that our kids aren't obeying us the way we want our kids to obey us and, and our marriages might not be going as well as we kind of show them to go by the car we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, or maybe even when we're struggling with some key issues in our lives. But that's how small groups move. That's how they grow. That's how they deepen. And as long as you resist it and only show your positive side, your small group's going to stay on the veneer. So it's good to go deeper. And it takes courage to do that. But God always rewards that. That's when you can come around someone and be a blessing to them. That's when you can pray for them. So that's why it's good for us to practice. Hey, I need some help here. Can you say that? I need some help here. Can you say that? Good. Good. God loves to be a help. Matter of fact, that's one of his names. He's our help in times of trouble. Do we open up, become vulnerable with him? Do we ask others for help? I've learned in ministry, one of the greatest things I could say is, hey, I need your help. That's one of, people feel honored when I ask them that. And I don't, I've never realized that, but it's the secret. The secret to getting more people involved in ministry is, We need some help. Relationships go deeper. And then finally, confiding makes leaders effective. Whatever area you're leading in, it may be a small role. You may lead in your family. You may lead in your place of work. You may lead a classroom. You may lead in a ministry. But here's the deal. We follow leaders because we trust them. Because we can relate to them. Psalm 32 was written by a leader. His name was David. David was far from a perfect leader. David actually walked away from the Lord and walked away from all good, sound, wise judgment. Uh, I I mean, uh, counsel. When he should have been out fighting battles, he was rooftop surfing across Jerusalem. And he sees a woman bathing and he lusts after her. And everyone says, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, she's a beautiful woman, but she's Uriah's. You know, he fights for you. He's one of your key military leaders. Um, that's his wife. In other words, David, stay away. He goes, go get her for me. Okay, but he's, it's, it's his wife. Yeah, get her for me. And he sleeps with her. She conceives and has a child. She's pregnant. So what do you do? Do you, do you hide or do you confide? Well, he hides. And so he says, um, hey, bring Uriah in. We'll give him a night with his wife and we'll pass this baby off as his. And so Uriah comes back and Uriah, being so loyal, stays at David's house. How can I do this when the Lord's army is out on the battlefield? And David goes, go back. Let's get the guy drunk and get him over there. But even in a drunken state, he would not lead the side of David. So David decides again, do am I going to hide or am I going to confide? And he hides again. Hey, Joab, here's the list. You go up, you storm, storm and go offensive in the next battle and pull back, leave, leave Uriah up there so that he dies. He gets killed. 
And so that's what happens. Hide. He thinks he can pass off this murder and pass off this this adulterous relationship. He thinks he can pass off everything until Nathan, God's appointed, comes into his life and tells him a story that resonates as a shepherd boy he used to be. And he says, you are the man. And he implodes. He's caught. But some of the most beautiful psalms were written for him when he finally decided to confide. We have Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. And then it even even talks about, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Here in Psalm 32, verse 8, if you go back to that, it's almost as if David stops talking to the congregation and turns and says to his children, he says this. He said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And see, he was leading. And he was leading from his weakness, not his strength. Leaders, especially if you're over 40 or 50 years old, we like to lead with our strengths. What if you lead with your weakness? What does it do? I know that there's that fear. People won't trust me. I'll lose the account. But what if you lead with reality? I think that's a key, a key direction for us, for us. I remember as a leader here, I was preparing for Easter and it was back in February and we had just heard that we weren't going to make uh, Easter in our new building. And I was kind of upset about that. And by the way, I was the only one on staff and in this church who was upset we weren't going to make Easter. But I was just upset. And so I gathered the staff together. I said, we're doing seven services for Easter. And I almost said, and you're going to like every one of them. <laughs> but I had this huge list. I had this huge list of what needs to be done. And I could just see with each person the burden of ministry going on. It. You're gonna, and, and I said, um, Keelan, you're, you'll have six services because we won't do one. At, but you'll need volunteers for all these areas for, for six services on Easter weekend, one of the most difficult weekends to get people. I looked over at Warren, and Warren handles all of our connections ministry. Warren, we're going to need about 400 volunteers to help park cars and greet people. And, and you could just see And I said, okay. Let's break. Good meeting. Goodbye. So I went into my office and then I just heard a. And I said, shoot. And it was Brian, Brian Trius. And he showed up and I said, come on in. He goes, hey, can I talk to you? And I initially said in my mind, no, but yes, it came out. Yes, it came out. Yes. And he said, hey, man, I am for you. I really am. But it's just interesting. I wish you would have, when you shared all the burden of Easter with us, I wish you would have shared it from a perspective of this is going to be tough. This is going to require a lot of sacrifice. And I get it. I feel that. I know where you're at. But here's the deal. This is where we're at. And I think this is a direction that every one of you can help us. And yeah, I'm worried. How is it going to happen? Are we going to get enough people? You know, if you had just shared it from that, we would have we wouldn't have felt the burden as much. And I said, Brian, that's it. You're fired. <laughs> no, no, I didn't say that. 
I pulled back. I pulled back. And I said, you are so right. I'm so sorry. Because ultimately, the reason I was operating out of that is I was operating on my fears. And I was going with power. I was going with position. This is what we're going to do. This is who's going to do it. And this is when it's going to get done. And it's amazing how people tend to want to help. They want to contribute. They want to make a difference. We all do. We want to show up and make a difference someplace. But it's best, especially when you face a challenge, to admit to the challenge. It's a challenge. Call it that. When you lead, whether it's in your company, if you're having a bad, if you're having a bad quarter, say, this quarter stinks or something like that. This quarter is challenging for us. I don't know what to do. But I think we can put our heads together. It's amazing. You invite people into bearing the burden when you're vulnerable rather than when you just lead with strength. People need to know that you see reality. They need to know that they see you care, that you understand, that you value them. They also need to hear the truth. I see what you're dealing with. It needs to be words. That's why the key words for us in this area is the practice is just me too. Me too. You scared about what we're going to be doing? Me too. Can you just practice? Me too. Good. You can say it. Empathy is one of the best blessings for leadership. See this? We're invited into our very relationship with God by confiding rather than hiding. And we're called into relationships with others by confiding, by being real, by being vulnerable. This is the missing link, folks, not only in our churches, but in our world today. We only want to show you the side of us that we're proud of. But yet grace begins when we show the side we're not. Grace begins when we show the need, when we show our sin And we trust in the one who forgives us. Let's join this. This is the church. The called out ones. Called out from darkness into light. Called out from sin into salvation. This is the church. Let's pray that God would foster in a heart a vulnerable life that's open to God. Let's pray. Father, we see it. We even admit the truth that it's better to confide than to hide. So would you melt our fears in the glory of the gospel? Turn our silence into singing of your grace. There is no hiding with you. So spirit, guide us into truth. Free us from covering. Empower us with grace. Deepen our relationships. We will be authentic people because you have set us free. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.